following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Um, As with much of Revelation, this passage uh, can be a little bewildering. Um, But uh, we want to really focus on Uh, that phrase, uh, they conquered by the blood of the Lamb. And we've been looking at all the effects of the blood of Christ as we lead up to Easter. And uh, here we see that that we have victory or we have overcoming. We conquer by the blood of the Lamb. And uh, in that that phrase, uh, victory, uh, it it tells us a couple things. One, that, that in the end we win. That's good news, right? Um, but but uh, it doesn't mean we win without conflict, right? Are any of you basketball fans? Anybody following March Madness? No, nobody. Okay, I can't really. We got one. Okay, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Okay, so for the rest of you, there's this big basketball tournament going on in America right now. And the way it begins is the best teams play the worst teams, Right? So if you're a number one or number two seed, you know, top place, you start by playing the, the number 16 or whatever uh, team at the bottom, right? So, so it, it should start off really easy, right? Your first game should be your easiest game. But every year, and this, this year is no exception, top seeded teams get beat by the lowest teams, right? And how, does that, how is that possible? It's like you go in knowing, hey, we're... We're picked to win, and yet they lose. And it's just a good reminder that just because you're picked to win doesn't mean you don't have to show up and actually play. Right? You have to actually show up, right? And, and that's really true with what's going on here. Yes, we win. But don't think that means we don't fight. Don't think that means we can just ignore the battle and pretend it's not real. In fact, uh, the book of Revelation is written to a church that was being fiercely persecuted. Right? In John, uh, uh, the Apostle John's day, the writer of this book, the church was under tremendous persecution. Uh, and Satan was, uh, it's, it appeared, was going to be successful in destroying the church. Right? And John himself was exiled to some island as a, as a prisoner and a captive. And, and John writes this letter largely to encourage this persecute, persecuted church not to give up, that victory is theirs, but the, 
it may not look like it, right? It may look like you're losing because they were being killed and, and, and chased, right? Uh, so, um, we're not persecuted like the church was in John's day, but we still are in the midst of the same battle. The enemy is no less real. The enemy is no less determined to destroy you and I. And it would be foolish to go through life thinking, oh, we won, I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I would be foolish. Foolish, right? It's a great way to just get yourself hammered up one side and down the other. We are in a spiritual war, a spiritual battle, and the battle is very real, and the enemy is very real. And he's also, as we find out in this passage, quite ticked off. Quite ticked off, right? And so... Um, so we need to know how, how to approach him, how to fight against him, how to um, appropriate, how to claim this victory that is ours. Um, so, so that's one thing we want to kind of talk about, right? How do we make sure we're really engaging in the battle? Um, how do we know how to defeat Satan? How do we know to uh, get the victory that, that the Bible says is ours if we, if we take it? Uh, but there's a whole other set of questions around this passage that also are important to look at. And that is, why is Satan in heaven in the first place? That? Like, what is he doing there? Why, why is Satan uh, in heaven? Um, and I think, you know, we have this wrong understanding about uh, God and Satan's relationship, right? And there's a lot about it we don't actually understand. Uh, and I'm not going to go into why did God, who created everything, create Satan in the first place. That's a, that's a question for a different day when Shine's going to be preaching, and he can answer that one. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not going there. But uh, the fact is, uh, he is in heaven uh, in, in the beginning of chapter 12, and, um, and it takes an army to, to oust him. And, you know, I think a lot of times we think we get this idea that God is all powerful, almighty, which he is. And that therefore, and, and we kind of get the idea, too, that God can just do whatever he wants. Mm, true to a point, right? Can God do anything he wants? Yes, but God only wants to do things that are in line with his own character. So it doesn't mean God can actually do anything, right? He can do anything he wants, meaning he can do what lines up with his character, and we see here the, a problem that God is, is in the midst of. God can't just bully Satan out of heaven. Right? We'll see in a minute why. Right? God, God can't just say, well, Satan's my enemy and banish him. Or better yet, just destroy him. Right? Um, God is just and, and God must do things in a way that upholds his justice and his righteousness. So it's not a simple thing, actually, for God to get rid of Satan. It would have been much easier if he hadn't created him in the first place, but he did. And once he, once he created him, uh, getting him was a little difficult. It's kind of like, you know, you hire that person who you think is going to be all wonderful, and then you find out they're not anything like what you thought, and firing them is actually a lot harder than hiring them, right? It's kind of how it is with God. So let's look at this passage, and in this we want to we identify uh, what gives Satan power, what are his weapons, Right? And in our Lent reading, uh, I love the word that it talks several times about this idea of disarming the enemy. Right? The truth is we cannot destroy Satan. God did not destroy Satan. We will not beat him by destroying him. But we can, the Bible says, disarm him. 
So what does that mean? How do we take away his weapons? What are his weapons? And how do we disarm Satan to make him powerless over our lives? That's what we want to try to look at this morning. Um, so first let's, let's look, and we, we're not going to go through this. There's just a lot on this passage. It's about a th- <laughs> take three or four Sundays to actually unpack everything. So I'm just going to survey, because we really want to focus on that phrase, they, they conquered by the blood of the Lamb. But to understand that phrase, we need to get some of the context, right? So uh, what's described here in, in these 12 verses is a great battle. Uh, and, um, you know, when we, when we go to the book of Revelation, we understand that it's prophecy, that it's prophecy specifically about the end times. And so oftentimes one of the reasons we don't understand the book of Revelation is we think everything in it is future, Right at the very end. Well, the truth is we actually are in the end times now. Did you know that? We've actually been in the end times since uh, Jesus ascended to heaven. <laughs> the end times are apparently kind of long, right? And so uh, not everything in Revelation points forward, especially from our perspective. Uh, much of it actually points back. And uh, Tim Chester in his commentary on Revelation says this. He says, um, Revelation 12 retells the whole of human history as a drama. Okay, the whole of human history. So what we see is a battle that comprises not something in the future, but actually a battle that's been raging from Adam and Eve in the garden until the final return of Christ, right? And so it looks at things both past, present, and and future. Um, And verses 1 through 6 refer to the first coming of Jesus, uh, seen as one event, Right, so what's described there is Jesus, uh, his birth and his life on earth. Um, uh, his birth and specifically the cross and his ascension to heaven being snatched up. It says that uh, he, uh, the, the, the virgin gives birth. Uh, the Satan wants to destroy him, but he is caught up to God. Right? That just describes all of Jesus' life and his first coming. So who are these characters? This uh, this woman, the child, and the dragon. Right? We need to understand that real briefly. First, the woman represents the people of God. Period. Right? The people of God throughout this, this, this uh, unfolding drama of history. So, of course, in the Old Testament, the people of God were Israel. In the New Testament, the people of God are the church. And the woman really represents both. Of course, the Messiah comes through uh, Israel. So in that sense, the, the woman represents Israel, who, and uh, the Catholics will say it represents specifically Mary. That may be a little too pinpointed, even though it's true, uh, but it represents the Messiah coming through Israel. Right? But then afterwards, we see this woman fleeing into the wilderness. Uh, well, it's not Israel that flees into the wilderness per se. People of God, uh, really the church. And we see that uh, later in, in verse 17 where it refers to Christians as the rest of her offspring, uh, the, the product or the outflow of the mission of the church, right? And it says that she's pregnant, uh, which looks forward to Israel anticipating, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And so for many uh, centuries, actually, um, you could say Israel was pregnant. Right, so the pregnant woman uh, is Israel anticipating the Messiah, uh, and, of course, uh, the child, of course, is Jesus, who is born to, uh, to Mary. Um, the dragon is identified here as Satan, uh, the great red dragon, Satan. Uh, uh, and with his tail, it says he sweeps a third of the stars of the earth, uh, really picturing uh, Jesus, uh, Satan's persecution of the church, right? 
uh, and, and of God's people. Um, uh, and of course, uh, so this child is born the Messiah, uh, and it, it, in a very few words, speaks of his birth, his, his death on the cross. Satan tries to destroy him. Uh, Satan thinks that by sending Jesus to the cross that he wins, uh, but uh, little does Satan know that that's actually his defeat, right? as we'll see in a minute. And Satan rises from the dead, he overcomes death in the grave, and he conquers Satan. Uh, but the result of that is that uh, Satan does not wave the white flag. Right? Satan doesn't say, oh, good move, I didn't see that coming. Boy, you're clever. I surrender. No, he is angry at being defeated. And he will not give up. And so he pursues the woman. Right? He can't get the, the child, so he goes after the woman in the church. And he pursues her. But the woman flees into the wilderness uh, where uh, it's a picture of, of God's people um, being cared for and preserved by God. Uh, and it really is probably a picture looking back to the first exodus where uh, as Israel was hunted by Pharaoh, uh, but they fled into the wilderness where God provided for them. He took care of them. He prote- protected them. And he gave them safety from Pharaoh from killing and destroying them. In the same way, the church is being hunted by Satan. But God has provided a safe place where he will care and protect and watch over them. And it's for a set period of time, 1,260 days, right? Which obviously is symbolic, right? Because it's been a lot longer than that, right? But it's a set period of time. Uh, Interestingly, 1,260 days is, is 42 months, Right? And so it's perhaps a, a picture of, of as, as Israel was uh, in, in the wilderness for 40 plus years. So the church is set apart and protected uh, from, from the ascension of Christ until his return. Right? Now, of course, I realize that a lot of people have a lot of different views on this passage, and you may, you may have different views, and I'll leave you to that, right? Uh, I don't have time this morning to give you all the reasons from Scripture why I would take this interpretation, uh, but just trust me that there are, re- there are good support from the Bible that really uh, w- would uphold this, this position. Um, so, so that kind of gives us this picture, right, of this ongoing struggle throughout history between God and Satan, centered around uh, Satan's mission to destroy uh, the promised one, but also God's people and God's uh, protection of them, uh, and ultimately uh, Satan's defeat. But then the scene, the scene shifts in, in verse 7, and it looks at this, this war in the heavens, right? And all of a sudden it shifts from the scene on earth to the heavens, and we see that uh, in, in the heavens there's this conflict, this battle, between Michael and Satan, and between uh, the angels of heaven and the angels who follow Satan. Uh, and uh, thankfully, it says that Satan is defeated, but not without some effort. Right? He is finally uh, thrown down. And notice that it doesn't say he's destroyed. It doesn't say that he is ultimately defeated. It just says he's thrown down from heaven to earth. Okay? This is not particularly good news for us. Right? Because before he was happy hanging out in heaven and causing problems there. Now that he can't cause problems there, he's on earth causing lots of problems here. And, it, and it, you just look at the news headlines, and you will see that Satan has got very good at wreaking havoc on planet Earth. Wars and divisions and conflicts and famines and, and, and hardship and hurt and hatred, right? 
He's, he, he seems to be winning at uh, every front, right? Uh, so while he's de- defeated in heaven, he still seems to have unlimited power and influence here on earth, right? Uh, but then a voice in heaven proclaims salvation and power in the kingdom and authority of Christ has come, right? There's victory. We, and we're, we're looking around going, okay, this must be future because <laughs> we're not seeing that now. But actually, the victory that he's talking about has been accomplished. Not, uh, it's been initiated. Not in its fullness, but the kingdom has come. Satan has been defeated. He has been thrown out of heaven, right? That, those are accomplished facts. And the end, most importantly, the authority of Christ has come at some level. It has come over, hopefully, your life and mine. Right? Uh, that's the entrance of the breaking in of the kingdom. Uh, and it says the accuser of the brothers, Satan, has been thrown down. And so those who are in heaven or those who are God's people proclaim that they have uh, conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb. There's that phrase, right? They conquered, they have overcome Satan. They have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, which is most likely their witness to the gospel message. And it says they they love not their life to the point of death. Uh, Some people interpret that to mean that this this is a group of martyrs. But actually, it's, it's true of all those people who were faithful all the way to the very end, to the grave. Right? They did not give up even to the point of death, whether it meant death from old age or death from um, martyrdom. Right? They were faithful in spite of the persecution. They overcame, they won, even though physically they may have died. Because physically we all will die. But they were faithful to the end. And they were faithful, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Because a quick survey, and it leaves about 10,000 questions unanswered. Um, we don't have time for this morning. But I just want to focus on this point, right? Uh, they conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb. You and I will conquer Satan by the blood of the Lamb. So how is it that the blood defeats Satan? And that's the question we really want to look at. Uh, he is not destroyed, but he is disarmed. Right? He is kicked out of heaven, uh, but he's here on earth, and he still has power. That's why the woman has to flee into the wilderness, because Satan is angry. He is, he is, he is enraged that he has been defeated in heaven. And, so, uh, the, and it says also that he's, he knows his time is short. And so he is fired up, and he wants to destroy you and me. Plain and simple. And he will do it one of two ways. He, will, he would love to do it just by killing you. Right? If, if, if he could do that, he would end your life right now. He would love to kill you. Uh, to put an end to your life. If he can't do that, then he will do it by deceiving you. By turning your life upside down. By causing you to live a life that is not, not honoring to Christ. Right? To bring shame and dishonor to the name of Jesus by how you live. Right? Uh, so, the good news is, uh, I mean, the bad news is, Satan, we, we don't stand a chance against him, really, on our own, right? I hope you understand that and appreciate that, right? He is way smarter than you. He's lived a whole lot longer. <laughs> He's seen a lot more. Uh, he, he has power, right? And, and on your own, you are toast, <laughs> 
toast, right? Now, does that mean he can take your salvation? Probably not that. Uh, but he can unravel your life. And that's exactly what he wants to do if he can. But the good news is we can overcome him. We can have absolute victory over him through the blood of the Lamb. So how does that work? Well, uh, first thing we got to understand is what are his weapons, right? When you go to battle, you got to know what your enemy's best weapons are. Uh, there's a scene, if, you, if some of you are old like me and you've watched the Indiana Jones movies, there's a great scene in one of the, it's one of my favorite scenes in any movie with Indiana Jones. He's in some Middle Eastern city, you know, back in the old days. And, and this guy, this big, huge, massive Arabian looking guy comes out trying to kill him. He's got this massive sword, like this big curved thing. And he's flashing it all around, whipping it all around, you know, right? He's going to kill, like, he just doesn't have a chance. And you, you think all he has is a whip. That's what he would carry on with this whip, right? And it's like, man, this guy's Indiana Jones is in big trouble. But then pulls out of the back of his belt a gun <laughs> and shoots the guy dead. Boom, game over, right? This all depends on what, what your weapon is, right? What is the weapon? Well, what is Satan's weapons? Well, um, maybe you've heard the game that the kids like to play, Two Truths and a Lie. Well, it's interesting that uh, these are Satan's Weapons, two truths and a lie. Actually, two truths and a bunch of lies. It just sounds cooler to say two truths and a lie, right? Two truths and a bunch of lies. Now, you may think, this is kind of strange. How can Satan use both lies and truth? Well, Satan's smart, right? And uh, he cannot deceive God. Uh, His lies and his deceptions are not going to work against God. So in heaven, uh, his best weapon is actually truth. The truth. And that's what he uses. Right? Uh, and so uh, it says in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. That's so important, those words right there. The accuser of the brethren. Right? Uh, Satan is the accuser. And what's interesting is Satan's first weapon that is super effective and what Satan has on his side is actually God's law and God's righteousness. And this is one of the reasons it's really hard for God to kick Satan out of heaven because uh, Satan actually has a just claim to be there, right? He's, he's, He's there in heaven upholding the law and God's righteousness, And the conversation goes something like this. God, you are a holy, righteous, and just God, right? And what can God answer to that? Yes. He's a holy, just, and righteous God. And as a holy and just, righteous God, can you let sin go unpunished? Can you just just pretend sin isn't there? Can you just ignore it? And of course, God has to answer no. Right, uh, his law is perfect. His righteousness is untainted, and and God just cannot ignore sin, and so He can't just ignore or so easily dismiss Satan, because his weapon that he uses uh, in heaven is the truth, and the truth is, as Scripture affirms, Romans three twenty three. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? Satan stands before God and he accuses every human being and he says they are guilty of treason and mutiny against you, God. Every human being is guilty of sin, of hating you and despising you. Right? Every human being is guilty of treason against the king who created them. Um, it's, it's, it, Romans 3 puts it this way, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Uh, does, does Satan have good ammunition if he wants to accuse us? <laughs> Well, I know for me, he doesn't have to look that far. Right? It's not that hard. It's not like he has to, uh, you know, dig up some hidden file somewhere like they did with Trump or whatever. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? My sins are not hard to find. So that's the first truth, is that all humanity is guilty. Second truth is the right and just punishment for that guilt is death. Right? That's the truth. And that's the truth according to both God's law and God's righteousness. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Right? And countless other scriptures that speak of uh, God's, the, the righteous demand of God's justice to judge sin. Right? Uh, Satan can say to God, these people do not belong in, in the kingdom of righteousness. They do not belong here. They belong to the kingdom of darkness. They cannot stand in your presence. They should be cast out from your presence forever. They do not belong here. They deserve your wrath and judgment. And if you don't judge them, God, you are unjust. You violate your own law and your own righteous standard. And so those are powerful weapons that Satan uses against us in heaven. And God being a just and righteous and holy God can't just say, oh, Satan, you don't know what you're talking about, right? He can't just dismiss him. He can't just cast uh, Satan out of heaven saying, well, you're a liar. Why should we listen to you? Right? It's not that simple. Right? Satan actually has a right to be there to uphold the law and the righteousness of God. And, and sure, uh, God could get rid of Satan, but he can't silence the accusation. Right? The accusation stands whether Satan is standing in God's presence or not. Right? The accusation is true. Uh, so that's, those are the first two lies of Satan, the first two weapons of Satan. He, he tells the truth. Secondly, though, we see that Satan's weapon is lying. Right? Uh, and we also see that in this passage. In verse 9 it says, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Right? The deceiver of the whole world. Um, of course, uh, Satan is the father of lies. He loves to lie. He loves his, his favorite weapon, I think, is deception. Uh, of course, he could not deceive God, but he's gotten really good at deceiving us. And it started with uh, Eve and the garden. Uh, and, and, and from that day on, uh, it's been his number one weapon against us. Uh, a lot of people are into casting out demons out of this lamppost and this whatever record, or I don't know. Uh, I don't know if Satan can, you know, demon possess your light, your lamp at home. Maybe he can, but but that's really not where his power is. 
right? His power is in that he lies to you and he lies to me. And you know what? We believe him. We believe him. Uh, and his lies are many, but, but here's a couple uh, significant ones. Um, first off, he lies about who we are. And he's creative, right? He's a liar, so uh, he doesn't care how he twists the truth. He just wants to twist the truth. So for the lost person who's a sinner, who's under God's wrath and doomed and destined for judgment, Satan's lie goes like this. You know, God loves you. You're a good person. I mean, look at the good things you do. You're great. You've got nothing to worry about. When you stand before judgment, you're good because you're good, right? And, and yeah, sometimes you mess up, but, you know, it's just because you have low self-esteem. Right? But you're okay. You're okay. You just need to like yourself more, right? Uh, he lies to people to convince them that they're okay. Uh, but to the redeemed, to those who are saved, to those who are God's children, his lie is completely different, right? He tells us, you are not good enough. You are a failure. Look at your sins. You're horrible. You're a failure. You're a loser, right? Uh, you are guilty. You are unworthy of God's love. You are condemned, and you should condemn yourself. You should hate yourself, right? right? Those are the lies of Satan, but he lies not only about who we are, he also lies about who God is. Right? So to the person who doesn't know God, he says, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, there's many paths. There's many gods. They all get you there. Right? Just pick one. They're all the same. Right? Uh, don't let somebody tell you there's an exclusive one way. Right? No. It's all good. God wouldn't judge you because God is loving, right? God won't send you to hell for eternity because, well, what kind of God would do that, right? Obviously not a good and caring and loving God. See, he lies to the, uh, the lost about the true nature of God. But to the child of God, he says something quite different. He says, God's probably pretty ticked off at you. Look at you, what a loser you are. You are guilty. You are a sinner. You're just a constant disappointment to God, Right? Why would God help you? Why would God answer your prayers? Why would God care about? Why would God love you? Right? You're such a loser. Or he lies about the consequences of sin. Right? Oh, sin's not a big deal. It's not going to hurt you. It's just a little sin. It can't harm you. After all, God forgives you. Right? It's all okay. He's a liar. We can go on and on. There's thousands of ways that Satan lies to us. Uh, the point is, though, that it's through these lies that he gains control over us and he seeks to destroy us and to turn us away from God, to turn us away from faith, to turn us away from following uh, the truth, right? Uh, so those are his weapons, truth and lies. Uh, the truth of what we have done wrong, but the lies about ourselves and about who God is. Um, but back to our passage, it says that uh, clearly that, um, the, the, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Right? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And so uh, let's look at the ways the, the blood defeats Satan. Four ways. First, uh, it is the power to defeat him uh, in the battle. And if you go back to verse 7, it says there's a war rose in heaven and Michael and his angels fight against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back and he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
And that ancient, uh, the dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. Uh, it would be easy to misunderstand those verses and think that somehow Michael defeated Satan in an armed conflict. Right? And often that's how people read it, that somehow they had this big war and Satan won because Michael just overpowered him. But actually that's not what's going on in this passage. In this passage, the scene in heaven is unfolding as the scenes on earth are taking place. Right? Satan is in heaven, but the actual defeat of, of Satan takes place on earth when Jesus was nailed to the cross and when he rose again from the dead. Right, that is the defeat of Satan. Uh, we see that in Hebrews 2, uh, 14, where the writer says, Since therefore the children share in his flesh and blood, that is in Jesus' flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil. Right? Uh, it was through Jesus' death that he destroyed the devil. Right? Uh, it was that power that enabled Michael to finally succeed in kicking Satan out of heaven. Uh, and verse 15, to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Right? It was the cross that defeated Satan. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see in a minute how Jesus both fulfills the law and, and, and removes the guilt of sin. But it's important to see that uh, the power to overcome, for Michael to overcome Satan, wasn't because uh, Michael had bigger muscles, he lifted weights more, right? or he had a bigger army, or he had a better sword, or he had the gun. <laughs> I don't know, you know. No! It was the blood of Jesus. Right? It was the blood, it was what Jesus did on the cross that gave Michael the upper hand to defeat Satan and cast them out of heaven. Second, it is the power of the blood that protects the woman, the church, who's fled into the wilderness. Right? Um, Israel actually went to a physical wilderness where God provided physical manna and, uh, and protected them. Right? Uh, but the church, we know, uh, we're not fleeing to the wilderness. Uh, God's protection for us is not to go out to the middle of the Sahara Desert somewhere as a church and all have a cool worship service and hang out. No, he's called us to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be salt and light in the world. Uh, but the place, the, 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 the safe space for us uh, where God protects us uh, is, is through the blood of Jesus where uh, we are saved from a shipwrecked faith. Right? We are saved from a shipwrecked faith. Where, where the blood of Jesus gives us the will to persevere in the midst of persecution. Right? Uh, the promise here is not that, this, that the, Satan will not kill you or harm you. Okay, again, John is writing to a church that's under fierce persecution where people are dying. They are being arrested. They are being thrown to the, the lions uh, and, and the gladiators and the Roman uh, circuses. Right, um, but they overcome because their faith right endured to the end, even to the point of death. They believed and trusted in the blood of Jesus, even to the point of death. Um, but the third thing, and this is where it gets a lot more practical for us, 
The blood of Jesus uh, is powerful because it is the power to silence Satan, the accuser. Right? It, it silences his accusations. Uh, how does it do that? Well, because the blood of Jesus fulfills the requirements of the law for us and pays the penalty for sin. Okay? Uh, and and when, when, when the law is fulfilled and, and the penalty of sin is dealt with, Satan no longer has an accusation to make. He is silenced. Right? The weapon of truth is ripped out of his hands and he no longer can use it against us. Uh, Romans 8, 2 says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could never do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's amazing, right? You, you and I uh, have broken the law, but Jesus fulfills the law in us by dying on the cross. And we don't have time to go into all the wonders of how he does that. But by fulfilling the law himself and giving himself as a sacrifice for us, uh, he fulfills completely every detail, every speck, every dot and tittle, the Bible says, of the law on our behalf. Right? So when Satan says they've broken the law, uh, God looks and he sees only the blood and righteousness and perfect obedience of Christ. And he says, I don't see that. I see the law fulfilled in Jesus and applied to their life. Right? Uh, in Romans 3.21, 20, uh, so right before he says the wages of sin is, uh, or all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Before that he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Right? There's a righteousness apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Right? Uh, that is our righteousness applied to us by faith. Uh, Romans 10.4 says, shortened to the point, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Praise God, we do not have to keep the law. Because it was ridiculous. Right? It was good, but Paul says, yeah, it's good, but it's still ridiculous, right? It's impossible. And Paul says, no one can be justified. Nobody can be good enough to keep the law perfectly. Praise God, we do not have to. Jesus fulfilled the law for us so that uh, everyone who believes is right, right? We are all holy and blameless before God. So now the result is that Satan is silent in heaven. That's why he was cast down, right? Because there was no longer a, a single accusation he can make against God's children. Uh, Paul writes in, in Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation, not a word. Not a word. Uh, there's no guilt, there's no error, there's no wrong, there's no failure, there's no condemnation. There's no word of accusation that, God, that Satan can bring to God against us. 
Um, so even better yet, he says, Paul says later in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect, God's children? Who shall bring a charge? Will God who justifies? No. Will Jesus, uh, who, who is to get, condemn us? Christ Jesus, the one who died? More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us? Right? Is Jesus going to condemn us? He gave his life for us, right? Um, he's praying. He is interceding for us. Will he condemn us? No. Can Satan? No. Right? Uh, so, so Satan is the the the, the power of, of of truth is is ripped out of his hands. Right? The the accusations he can make against us are stripped away. Um. But then there's the the, the power of of the truth. Uh, the power of the truth. Right. Uh, lastly, right, the power of truth, right? The way we counter Satan's lies is with the truth. Uh, and the blood, not only does it silence uh, his accusations, but it also silences his lies, right? It's the truth that counters the lies of Satan. Um, and what is the truth? I've got a bunch of scripture I'm going to read through, probably too many scriptures, but the Bible's full of these truths that speak against Satan's lies. And we need to learn how to arm ourselves with these truths. So that when Satan starts lying, we have an answer. Because here's the thing. Uh, Satan can't accuse us, right? And, and God's smart enough to know it's futile to try. right? So he's banished from heaven because God will no longer listen to the accusations of Satan. Um. The truth counters his lies, but does that mean Satan no longer lies? No, right? Is Satan uh, still active on earth? Yes. Does Satan want to lie to you? Yes. Is Satan good at it? Very, right? And so we need to arm ourselves uh, because we cannot take away his lies, but we can counter them with truth. And of course, that's what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Right? Satan tried to lie and tempt Jesus, and, and Jesus countered it with the truth. So here's some truths, right? First truth, we belong to God as his children, and we stand before him holy and blameless. That's an absolute truth made possible through the blood of Jesus. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We don't deserve it, but through the blood. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Second, we are, we are redeemed, forgiven, and blameless before God by the blood of the Lamb. 1 John 1, seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? When, when Satan says, you're guilty, you say, no, I am cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. 2 Corinthians 5.21 uh, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Right? Jesus knew no sin, but God made him to be sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? So when Satan says, you're no good, you're a mess up, you're a failure, you say, no, I am the righteousness of God. I stand before God holy and blameless. Right? That is who I am. Um. We are a child of God and joined heir with Christ. 
do we deserve it? No, but do, do your kids deserve you have, have you as a parent? <laughs> Interesting question. <laughs> uh, do you deserve to have them as a child? Also interesting question. Uh, Do we deserve to have God as our Father? Certainly not. But does that make Him any less a Father to us? No, because being a Father is not a basis of merit. It's a basis of, based on relationship, right? So Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and have children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1 says that, uh, that in love God predestined us as sons in Christ Jesus. Right? We're his children. Um, the truth also refutes the lies about who God is. Right? Satan wants to convince us that God really doesn't love us, that God doesn't really care about us. But there is no proof that God loves us more than the proof that's found in the blood. Right? God demonstrates his, lo- his love for us, Romans 8, 5, 8 says. God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The proof of God's love for us is Jesus' death on the cross. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to, God's, uh, to God by the death of his Son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? That's the proof that God loves us. He saved us by sending his son. Uh, how can we ever doubt the extent and, and depth of God's love? Paul says in Romans 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? Uh, there's so much more. The scripture is so full of, of promises and truths, right? And we need to know those truths. Right, so so, um, so the, this ends with a, a final word, right? And it's been a, a quick survey, but, but we, defeat G, uh, we defeat Satan by, by, by the blood of the Lamb, uh, we disarm him by taking away uh, his accusations and by speaking against his lies with the truth. Right? And, and uh, John finishes with this, uh, this word. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. This is not future. Now its, it's completion is future, but... Uh, salvation has come, right? The power has come. Satan has been cast down from heaven. Uh, the kingdom of God has come. Not its final, complete version, but it has come. And if you are in Christ, you are in his kingdom. He is your king and you are uh, under his rule. Uh, the authority of Christ has come. And the accuser of the brothers has been cast down. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, therefore, rejoice, O heavens. Right? First word is, uh, our life should be one of incredible rejoicing. Right? Uh, we're in the midst of a battle, and sometimes Satan can bring against us terrible things. Right? 
And God's not going to protect us from all the evil, all, all the persecution, all the attacks, right? But we can rejoice because there is victory through the blood, right? And for those who persevere in their faith to the end, there is life and life eternal, right? There is victory. But the second word is, is this, watch out, right? Watch out. Uh, yes, rejoice in, in, in what victory we have, but watch out because he says, Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Don't be stupid. <laughs> That's kind of the point. Don't be clueless that, and go, go through life. Because here, here's, here's one of Satan's great, greatest deceptions, uh, especially if you're in... And, you know, in the comfortable life that a lot of us are in, is, you know, yeah, it, doesn't this hot tub feel good? Yeah, you're in a hot tub. Just relax, right? You know the story about the frog, right? You put it in the pot of water and it doesn't know it's being boiled to death because it feels good at first, right? Until it's too late. Satan would love for you just to be content with your comfortable life. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy it, right? No. Uh, we, we need to be uh, on our guard against the lies and schemes of the devil. Right? Or he will destroy us, if not physically, spiritually. Right? But uh, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Right? Make the blood of Jesus and what it has accomplished for you your great and powerful weapon against the attacks of Satan. Right? Uh, daily, reflect on what the blood of Jesus has accomplished for us. Right? That is how we defeat the enemy. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.